0: Hello and welcome to Trainer Tools Podcast. My name is John Tomlinson. In each episode of this podcast I speak to a different learning and development professional and they share with me one tool, idea, technique, something which is of value to other people in the learning and development community. In this episode I'm speaking to Larry Reynolds. He's been on the programme before and he comes back this time to talk about storytelling and how he uses stories within his training programmes. Hope you found it useful. <music> I'm here again with Larry Reynolds. Hi, Larry. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, John. Well, welcome back to this podcast. And what are you going to talk to us today about?
1: We're going to talk about how trainers can use stories and storytelling. Okay. Could you tell us how you're going to structure that then, please? Yeah. I'm just going to say a little bit about why I think every trainer ought to have a good stock of stories to tell. And then I'm going to give examples of three different kinds of story that it's useful to use within a training session.
0: Okay, so it's why we get, why we should have the stories in the first place, and then you're going to give these three examples. Let's start by actually defining what you mean by a story and how you would classify something as a story as opposed to any other kind of input that you would give. What What makes a story a
1: story? A story has got some kind of narrative in it, and interestingly, some kind of challenge. So if I say... I went down to my local shop to buy some milk, I got the milk and came back. That's not really a story because there's no challenge in it. But if I say I went down to my local shop and just as I was buying some milk, a huge gorilla leapt out of one of the shelves and I had to run for my life, then that becomes a story because there's a challenge. So what makes a story is some kind of narrative with some kind of challenge in it.
0: That makes sense. So it's not just any old anecdote or any old example. It has to have a narrative and it has to have some kind of challenge, presumably something that we actually learn from.
1: That's right. Although I will be... uh, One of my classes of stories is kind of little anecdotes, but even the tiniest anecdote needs to have some, some challenge, some conflict in it.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So you were going to start with talking about why we should even have these stories in our back pockets.
1: Yeah. So as a trainer, I think you want to be credible you want people to kind of think that you know what you're talking about. You want to be engaging in that you want people to be paying attention and enjoying the training session most of the time. But you also want to be memorable. You want people to remember the stuff that you've been talking about so they can use it back at work. And the most common way of delivering a training session is still, sadly, through PowerPoint or some sort of display technology. And I don't think PowerPoint is any good for your credibility, for being engaging, or for being memorable. Whereas stories do all three things. If you have the right kind of stories, it gives you some credibility. It shows that, you know, what you're talking about. Human beings naturally love stories. They naturally find them engaging, and they naturally find them memorable. So that's why I think stories are such a great tool for trainers to use just a word in defense of PowerPoint. Um,
0: I I totally agree it's overused, but I think it's a great tool and it's just kind of how you use it. And I suppose the same could be said of stories. They could be used poorly as well as used really well.
1: Well, I guess, John, this this is an argument we can have another time because although I agree with you that PowerPoint can be used well or badly, I think inherently it's quite a dull mechanism for communicating and engaging people. And for me, PowerPoint. You know those kind of lists of bullet points are almost always lacking credibility, incredibly dull, and instantly forgettable. PowerPoint only starts to become interesting when you start to use pictures or video clips, which frankly are often involving a story. I have
0: sympathy with what you're saying, and I think you're right. It's an argument we can have somewhere else, and I I, I kind of agree with you. But equally, I'm not a particularly visual person myself, and I find pictures on PowerPoints to be often meaningless. But This is an argument for another day. Let's go back to stories. Um, You're saying about why we need to have stories and why we must have them. Do you think there's a limit to how many stories you can chuck in? Is there some kind of guidance you would give about when to use a story and when not to use a story and a, a maximum number of stories you can throw at people?
1: I think there are guidelines about when you use the stories. You use stories to support the learning that you want the course participants to have. You're not just giving stories because you want to entertain people or you feel like telling a long-winded anecdote. You, every story you tell on a course must have a purpose. It must illustrate a learning point. And so in terms of the maximum number, it depends what the learning points are and how long the course is, that sort of thing. But that's, every story must earn its keep in conveying a piece of learning, however small. Do
0: you ever get pushback from people? On that, in terms of they maybe roll their eyes or react negatively to yet
1: another story, that's not been my experience. In fact, it, it's been the opposite. That I quite often tell quite personal stories. In fact, I'm I'm going to give an example a bit later on of a, quite a personal story, and and I'm sometimes like a little bit of a. That- apologetic about it. I sometimes find myself towards the end of a course saying, oh, God, you know, here's yet another story about me and my family. You're probably bored of this by now. But the feedback I get at the end is, is no, that those personal stories really bring things to life.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to that. You may have picked up on a bit of scepticism from me. And the reason is that I have been on training courses where trainers are continually sharing stories and especially quite personal stories. And it does get to the point where I'm thinking, this isn't about you. And I actually find that to some extent distracting. So I find some stories extremely useful, entertaining, very illustrative, very insightful. Too many stories or too personal a story, I feel it kind of has the potential to distract.
1: Yes, I, I, I agree with you there. And interestingly, I've, I've experienced that as well. But I suppose that I've experienced it when trainers tell stories where the kind of the moral of the story is, aren't I great? And I find those those kind of stories intensely uh, annoying. Whereas if someone tells me a story which is kind of like... Here's how I faced up to the challenge. And I didn't handle it all that well. But this is what I learned from it. Those, I think, can be very, very powerful stories and very useful stories. So, so you're right. It, it, there comes a point where they can just be kind of self-indulgence. But if, if the story is really earning its keep in making a genuine learning point, then I think you, you can avoid that, that irritation.
0: Yeah, and I have used them also when it's been something where you want people to be particularly honest and you want to kind of break down barriers, where I've used a story to admit my own mistakes or something that I've done in the past that's relevant to the learning.
1: Yeah, and and there's a fine line there as well, because if, if... If you're telling a story which is all about, you know, I did this and I really, really messed up, that's not going to be too good on credibility either. So it's about choosing just the, the right story that, that, that really kind of works. So maybe we should get stuck into some different examples of stories and, and just, you know, perhaps at the end of this, this cast, just reflect on, on, um, on, on when you might use them.
0: Okay. Well, you said you had three different types. So do you want to explain what those three are?
1: Yeah. So the first one is a really short anecdote, something that is just very short and punchy that illustrates a particular point. The second one is having a personal story, something that is real about you that illustrates a particular point. And the third one is a story from elsewhere, something that you might have just picked up from the news or the internet that somehow illustrates something something really well. And we're going to uh, look at those three in turn.
0: Okay. And and that particular classification is there any reason why you chose to break
1: them down that way? No, I just I just thought it, it's it's a, it's a useful way of dividing between those kind of um, well, the short ones, the personal ones, and and ones that you might find elsewhere. The true answer, this probably won't get in the podcast, is no, it just seems a good way of doing it, really. I don't have any particular rationale for it.
0: (laughs) Okay, so we'll start with the short, punchy anecdotes. Do you want to just break that down and talk us through that one?
1: Yeah, so the best thing, I think, is, is to give an example. So at the start of most training courses, like most trainers, I say something about switching your mobile phones off. And the particular thing I say on a course is I say, please switch your mobile phones off if you need to be on call and you need to kind of leave the room and take a message, that's fine. But while you're here, I need your attention fully on the course. Is that okay? And people nod. So that's the kind of stand a bit. And then I give a short anecdote. I say, a while ago, I was doing a training course for Nokia. And I said to the people on that course, if any of your mobile phones goes off, I will pick it up and drop it in a glass of water. And The people who work at Nokia are quite serious. In fact, they call themselves Nokians. And one of these Nokians put his hand up and said, excuse me, if it were a Nokia phone, it would still work in water. It would have to be acid to stop it working. And I say to the participants on my course, so don't put me to the test. Don't challenge me by having a mobile phone uh, go off because I'll pick it up and see if water will stop it or not. So that's kind of a, a tiny little anecdote and the reason for telling and by the way it's true i mean i did i did do a course for nokia and that absolutely happened and the knock did say you know phones would still work in water the reason for telling it is did did you test it out uh, no no i never got the opportunity i'm glad to say they were very disciplined about (laughs) switching it off but that's almost a pity really that that wasn't the ending of the story well it is yes but you know there's it it has to be true and and the true and and that's what really happened i said that and none of them went off but the reason for putting that that little tiny anecdote in there, and actually when I tell it for real, it takes even less time than I've used to tell on here, is first of all, in some small way, it's a bit of a credibility thing. When participants on a course are meeting a trainer for the first time, they want to know, you know, has this person at the front got any experience with this kind of stuff before? And I'm kind of in a way name dropping in a very sort of slight way. But rather than saying, oh, I've worked for all these fantastic blue chip companies, Without making a song and dance of it, I've just sort of hinted that I've worked with Nokia and those sorts of companies. So there's a little bit of the credibility thing. In terms of engagement, there's a bit of humor quite early on in the course. This is when we're doing the dull stuff about fire exits and whatnot. And you get that that bit of humor. And what's quite interesting for me is, is sometimes. A, a, a group of people on the course will just sort of slightly roll their eyes at that saying, oh, those knock-ins. And sometimes people sort of have quite a big laugh about it. So it's a way of getting a bit of engagement and and introducing a bit of humour. And finally, it makes it memorable. People really remember that. And, you know, very, very occasionally on a course, a phone does go off. And rather than kind of getting too serious about it, I can say, ha-ha, find me a glass of water. and I start walking up towards the phone and and it, 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 people remember that, that that's not what they need to do. So it's a tiny, tiny anecdote, but it, it, it covers those those criteria of being credible, engaging, and memorable.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's very short, very sweet, very quick. As you say, memorable, engaging. I mean, that's good. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and work that into one of my courses.
1: Well, here's, here's an interesting thing about, if you do work that into the courses, do you say, I was working once for Nokia, or do you say, I knew another trainer worked for Nokia? I feel quite strongly that if you're going to talk about a story as if it happened to you, it really does have to have happened to you. There's, there's a thing I have about being ethical about that, that y- y- you need to only tell true stories. So what I would say is, you know, by all means, you know, nick that anecdote and say, you know, another trainer talks about this. But it's about looking out for the things that have genuinely happened to you that, that you could turn into that sort of anecdote, and John, you know, I know, I know you you work internationally, and a lot of the work you do. I'm sure there's all sorts of interesting little little things like that, that you've picked up, little anecdotes that could be relevant to something on a, on a course. So there's a thing about the stories being true, I think.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to say um, a colleague of mine, or something like that. Although I was thinking of adding that you now carry a, a bottle of acid around with you. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's anecdotes we're talking about. So moving on to personal
1: stories, tell us about the personal stories. So I think it's useful to have some slightly longer than a, that, that little anecdote, a, a personal story that is really useful to illustrate some aspects of what you're talking about. So I'll uh, one of the courses I do is called Courageous Conversations, and part of it is about giving feedback to other people. And one of the things that goes wrong with feedback is that when um, people at work are giving feedback to someone else, often they're a bit vague about what they want the other person to do. Sometimes they'll give feedback along the lines of, well, you know, I just want you to be a bit more proactive. And that vague feedback doesn't work. If you want someone to be Proactive. You need to give them the very specific behaviours that you would understand to be demonstrating being more proactive. So the the learning point I want to make is about when you give feedback, it needs to be really specific. So I'm going to tell you now the story that I tell to make that learning point. And again, it, it it's a true story. So I say something like this, and I just kind of go into to the story. I say my daughters, they're they're 19 and 21 now, but way back when they were kind of young teenagers, I think they were about maybe kind of 12 and 14, something like that. We had a bit of an issue in our house about the girls basically pulling their weight around the house. They were doing the kind of typical teenager thing, you know, showing up for meals, but expecting everything to be done for them, expecting all their sort of room to be tidied and clothes to be washed and so on. So one evening, uh, my wife Monica and I uh, were sitting down just about to have our evening meal with the girls. And I decide to have a bit of a go at them. I say, look, girls, this is absolutely outrageous. You know, your mum and I both have very busy jobs. We both work very, very hard. And yet we're doing all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the clothes washing. You need to, you know, at your age. You need to grow up a bit. You need to pull your socks up, buck up and pull your weight. And that's pretty much what I said to the girls. And then I ask the participants on the training course, as a result of that rant, what behavioral change do you think happened? You know, in what way do my girls change as a result of that rant? And I look at the people on the course and they say, almost always, someone says, absolutely nothing. And I say, that's right. Absolutely nothing changed. But then what happened, I said, was my wife, Monica, took me to one side. And she said, after she said, look, Larry, that was that was terrible. You know, you're meant to be good at this kind of, you know, feedback stuff and influencing or not. You know, you're meant to teach this stuff. That was absolutely terrible. You need to do it a different way. So I took advice from Monica. And when it came to our evening meal the following day, this is what I said. I'm standing there at the uh, the cooker just about to serve up the, the evening meal. And I turn around and I look at the girls and I say to them, Look, girls, I'm just about to serve up the tea. Before I do, I want you to empty the dishwasher. And they looked at me and said, What? What? what, what do we have to? I said, Yeah, yeah, you know, you have to. This is your go you on. Know, one of you do the top, one of you do the bottom. I only take you a minute and then we'll have tea. So, very, very reluctantly, with long faces, they both empty the dishwasher. Then day two happens. So, the following day, This time, actually, it's Monica serving up the tea, and she's just about to serve, and I I stop Monica from serving the tea, and I say, girls, just before mum serves up the tea, empty the dishwasher. And they say, but we did it yesterday. And I said, yeah, I know, and it's it needs doing today. All right, then. So very reluctantly, they both empty the dishwasher. The third day is really interesting, because I'm about to serve up the tea again, and I I'm just about to turn around. I look at the girls who are sitting down at the, at the, uh, at the kitchen table. they ready to eat. And I'm just about to do my bit. And actually, it's the youngest one, Roshin, School, The youngest one turns to the other uh, her sister and says, come on. We might as well enter the dishwasher. Otherwise, he'll only have a go at us. And without me saying anything, they did it. And the interesting thing is, after that, it became a habit. So actually, from then on, I didn't say anything. They just, they just knew that after before we had tea, it was their job to to the dishwasher. And I say to people on the training course, I think this illustrates some things about feedback. First of all, if you give very, very vague feedback, you know, pull your socks up, pull your weight, act your age, nothing happens. But if you give very specific feedback, to the dishwasher, you've got a better chance of it happening. The second thing about feedback is that just because you give a piece of feedback once doesn't mean people will do it forever then. You actually have to create a habit. It took two or maybe three days before this new habit was created. And I say to people, actually, I think, you know, I'm pretty lucky with my girls. They're very, very good. And it's not always that easy. But it illustrates the point that when you're giving feedback, not only do you, does it help to be specific, but it helps to Um, repeat it enough so you create a habit and then I hand it over we have a discussion about you know and that applies at work as well so I'll, I'll stop there but the point of that story is it's clearly a personal story it involves an element of challenge it's the kind of classic story structure where um I was facing a challenge, you know, getting the girls to help around the house. My first approach was a disaster. I got some help in the form of a challenge from from Monica, and then I tried a different approach that led to some success. And that's a fairly classic story structure. So it's it, it's um, a, a structure of a story which involves challenge. It's personal, but it illustrates something that is absolutely relevant to the training course. So that's that's my example of a personal story that. Trainers can use. I found that really engaging.
0: I was really quite uh, anticipating where it was going and how it was going to end, which is which is quite an achievement for a story about emptying a dishwasher.
1: Yes, oh well, thank you, John. Yeah, yeah, and and well, I I, I rest my case. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a particularly brilliant storyteller. Uh, you know, I'm not up there with sort of Ronnie Corbett or anyone. And equally, you know, it's you know, getting teenage kids to go into dishwasher. It's not the most. It's not you know, like sort of Terminator Three, is it, or the Lord of the Rings. I and mean, it's not the biggest, biggest, most exciting story. But you know, it, if it's if it if it's got a bit of an element of challenge in it, you know, a bit of you're not sure where it's going to end up, then, then it can be useful. Although I am
0: empathising a lot with your daughters, seeing as my job in the house is emptying the dishwasher. All
1: right. <laughs> do, you, do you have children? Oh, no. I, we better finish this podcast. and I can ask you about your family afterwards, John. Next question.
0: So what's the value in that being a personal story to illustrate that learning as opposed to any other kind of story, a third person story or an, some other objective
1: type of story? There are a couple of things, really. One is that it somehow is more credible and more engaging if it's if it's personal. So we like to feel that we're we're kind of making some sort of connection with other human beings, and I think the that kind of personal thing that that really helps. The other thing is that by being a personal story, it says something about your own kind of values and beliefs. It's 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 in a way. Sharing a bit of yourself and those things, I think, help to build that trust and connection that is, that is really, really important. There's, there's some evidence to show there's some interesting research done a while ago by two researchers called Kane and Kane about how it was done in schools, so it's how kids learn in schools, and they found that the kids that learned the most were the ones that really liked and respected their teacher. And that was a really, really key factor. And I think a bit of that spills over into training. If if the participants on your course really kind of like and respect you as a trainer, they're more likely to learn than if they just think you're a plonker or just someone who's kind of wandered in. So a certain amount of kind of self disclosure and sharing and coming across as human helps. And I think stories do that. And you know, if you stand up at the front and say, "Look, you know, I'm just a regular guy," you know, you can like me. That doesn't have any credibility. But if you if you share the fact that like you know possibly some of the people in it on the course you know you've got teenage kids and it's tricky dealing with them sometimes that helps build that that kind of like and trust and rapport
0: yeah i suppose you're much more likely to listen and give credence to what people say if you do actually like them and engage with them and want to listen to them so it does make sense what uh, what you're saying about from the the Kane and Kane study applying to to the adult training as
1: well yeah and just a slight kind of diversion on on storytelling that um there's some really interesting work being done in the NHS in terms of using kind of storytelling to bring about organisational change. And it's based on uh, a notion about uh, that's often kind of the label of um, uh, the story of self, the story of us and the story of now. And without going into too much detail, it says that in terms of bringing about organisational change, what really, really counts is how much you kind of respect and trust the person leading that change and to be a good change agent part of the way to to build that trust and respect is telling very honest stories about yourself that show that you share some personal values with the people you're trying to influence. And there's some interesting work being done on how Barack Obama got elected first time round as president of the United States. And he interestingly although although uh, people think of him as being a very very skilled orator a very skilled storyteller originally he wasn't you know when he was a kind of a young kind of law professor he was a bit geeky and was not very good at communications and he decided to he, he studied how he could go about basically get getting elected and he realized that the secret to being getting elected wasn't about having particular policies it was about coming across as kind of likeable and trustworthy so he developed some stories and his his story was essentially you know I was just a kind of young black kid with not a very good up, upbringing and I've kind of lived the American dream about getting to to sort of the highest post in in the lands through hard work which is a is a, it says something about kind of values and beliefs that a lot of American people would relate to so I think there's a whole there's a whole massive massive area to, that's worth looking at about how personal stories can can build credibility it. and it's a, it's a leadership skill as well as a, a trainer skill but perhaps that's another podcast as well
0: yeah but that person the idea that a personal story can not only build credibility but also help build the relationship and break the barriers down for the trainer i think it's a really important point so do you want to go into the third type which i think you said was uh, other types of story the objective the third person story
1: yeah the other, the other kind of stories is that quite often you want to make a point through a story where you haven't had the personal experience that makes that point, but it needs a story to make the point as well. So I'll give you, again, another example. And this is... from some training about customer service, so I'll I'll just go straight into the the story pretty much as I tell it on a course, and then then I'll unpack the key learning points afterwards. So this this um, although it didn't happen to me, this is a true story, and it happened in a store belonging to a large national retailer. And uh, for obvious reasons, I'm not not going to tell you what the retailer was, but uh, it, it, it's it's a, a quite a well-known national retailer. So an elderly Elderly person goes into uh, one of these stores. It's it's a food store. It's a supermarket. Elderly person goes into this supermarket, and as she's doing her shopping, she comes over a bit faint, and she absolutely she actually collapses on the floor. As she collapses, she scrapes the side of her leg by uh, on on what they call a gondola. It's one of their display units. One of the customer service assistants in the store comes up immediately, um, helps the the elderly person to to uh, get back onto their feet again and basically does a fantastic job about checking that this elderly person is okay. Uh, the customer service assistant takes the elderly person to the kind of staff room and sits them down, makes sure they're okay. The customer service assistant says, look, you know, do you need us to get a doctor or anything? You're right. And the elderly person says, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Thanks. Just came over bit faint. I'm fine now, but this is great. Customer service assistant says, um, would, you, would you like a cup of tea? Oh, that would be wonderful. You know, make some, a cup of tea. And basically, the customer service assistant in the store does a fantastic job of looking after this person. After a bit, the uh, elderly person says, "Well, thank you very much. That's great. Had a bit of a sit down. I'm sorted out now. I think I'm ready to go home now." And again, the customer service assistant says, "Well, look, you know, would you like someone to walk you home?" Yeah, you know, the elderly person says, "No, that's that's okay. I, I'm fine." Um, so the customer service assistant uh, is just about to. Uh, walk the person to the door when the elderly person says there's just one thing though I've grazed my leg a bit you can see here it's just bleeding a little bit I wonder if you've got a plaster just to put on it so customer service assistant goes to the uh, first aid box for some reason there aren't any plasters in the first aid box so she goes out onto the store and down to the kind of where they have the medical supplies gets a box of plasters brings it back opens it up and helps the elderly person to put a plaster on their leg it's only a tiny bit of blood Elderly person, really, really appreciative and, and is ready to go home now. So the customer service assistant walks the elderly person to the door of the supermarket. Uh, you can imagine that they're, they're standing at the door of the supermarket, the sliding doors just slide open. And the elderly person says, well, look, thank you very much. It's been a bit of a tricky experience for me, but you've, uh, you've, you've looked after me really well. Thank you very much indeed. And the customer service assistant says, that's no problem at all. We're glad we can help. Just one thing before you go. I had to get the plasters off of the shelf. Uh, that will be £1.42, please. And the customer service assistant holds out her hand for the money. The elderly person is completely shocked at that point. He says, look, you're joking, aren't you? You're not serious. And the customer service assistant says, yeah, 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 you know, it's £1.42. That's what I had to spend. So very reluctantly, the elderly, the person opens up her purse, gets out the money, hands over the money. Uh, she goes back home. As soon as she gets home, she, uh, she calls up her son, furious that she's been charged £1.42 by the store. Her son is equally furious, calls up the company, talks to their complaints department, uh, which is run by my friend Claire. And that's how I know the story, because Claire told me the story. So the question I ask the people on my training course is, that customer service assistant, was that good customer service or bad customer service? And what people say is, well, it was really good up to the point where she asked for the £1.42 and then it was terrible. And I said, Yeah, yeah. So why, 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 why did she do that? Why did the customer services why was she so crass as to ask for that £1.42? And depending on the background of the people on the store on the course. People either look puzzled or if they have any retail experience, they say, Well, in retail, we measure everything to death. And if the customer service system hadn't got that money, she'd have been told off for not following the system properly. And I said, That's absolutely right. And what this proves is that really good customer service sometimes means you have to go against the rules. Sometimes it means you have to break the rules to give good customer service, and then I sometimes say to the people on the course: if you think about experience where you've had a really good customer service, especially where something's gone wrong, often it's the person that's breaking the rules. Often, you know, you, you complain about something in a shop or in a restaurant or wherever it is, and the person says, "Look, I'm not really meant to do this," but, and I say, you know, one of, personally, one of my best pieces of customer service on an airline was where you know I showed up at the gate after it had officially closed and it was the last flight of the night get home and the person on the gate said i'm not really meant to do this but actually i'll take you out there myself and we'll you know i'll make sure you get on the plane so it makes a this story makes the point that good customer service is sometimes about breaking the rules and that's why i think it's such a great story to tell that's just such a sad end isn't it after she'd done such good
0: service she just messed it up at the end and I, I was kind of wondering where it was going and i was when you said get the plasters off the shelf i was thinking oh please don't charge her please don't charge her
1: <laughs> well that's that's the power of stories isn't it john is is that you again it's not it, it, you know it's not lord of the rings it's not you know some kind of you know mega epic it's someone just being treated slightly badly in a store but it it because it's a real story it engages people and they will remember it and I, I mean interesting, I've had people Do you get
0: groans at that point? Do you get lots of people groaning? Oh, yeah, go, oh yeah, God, no. Yeah.
1: And and what I don't get at that point, if you're looking you know, just just the point where i where I have the customer service isn't saying, That'll be one forty two, please. I can guarantee on a training course, every single person in the room, they're looking at me and their eyes are kind of opening wider with horror. You know, it, it's just it just really, really engages people. It's great. So is
0: there anything particular about that story which makes it successful? The particular characteristics.
1: Well, I suppose it's about the again. There's an element of challenge or conflict in it, I mean if if the story had been, you know, this happens, the customer service isn't dealt with it perfectly and there we go, you know, good customer services being like that customer service incident, that wouldn't have made the point. Because there's some conflict or some challenge or something unexpected or some drama in it, in, in, you know, quite a small way, that's what people remember. So that's what makes a good story is some some surprise, some conflict, some challenge, either overcome or not overcome. That's That's what makes it interesting. And I think the thing about that kind of story is that sometimes, as, as a trainer, from your own experience, you've kind of got those stories at your fingertips. But if you haven't, it's fairly easy to go out and find them. And one way to find them is, you know, whenever you're, you know, your next client you're working with, or, or if you work within an organisation, talk to the frontline staff. You know, if you, if you talk to the, the frontline staff in the organisation, they're full of those sort of stories about things going wrong because that's what people talk about. When people are gossiping at work when information is, is being exchanged on the grapevine, it's all through stories. You know, when when two people are going down a corridor in an office building, one of them doesn't say to the other, hey, oh, great to see you, John. I've got this really interesting policy document. Do you want to have a read of it? They don't say that. They say, oh, John, great to see you. You never guess what. I've just come out of my boss's office And he looks as if he's had a huge row with our HR director. What do you think is going on there then? You know, the way people naturally communicate is through gossip and stories. And that's what makes them so engaging. So if you're not using those in training courses, you're missing out. And if you haven't got the stories to tell, go find them. Ideally from your own organization or from the kind of client organizations you want for. But if not, you know. Read the news, go on the internet, look on Twitter, read a newspaper. It's full of stories that illustrate things that you might want to put across on a training course. Well, I think the idea of talking to the front line or even
0: actually joining the training course itself, people will throw in their own stories. So I think there is quite a lot of uh, resource there that you can you can tap to get good stories for training. It's just making sure that they're then structured, as you said, with that narrative, with the challenge, and obviously with the learning
1: Yes. And and I suppose this this relates back to the thing we said right at the top of this podcast about you don't want to just tell stories just because it's sort of vaguely entertaining or just because it's a bit different. They have have to earn their keep by having some kind of learning point in there. And if there's a bit of drama or a bit of humor, you know, so much the better. Yeah. No, I like that
0: one as well. I liked all of those stories. So that was the third type of story, that objective third person story. Is there any particular reason that you would choose to use that type of story as opposed to the personal or the anecdote? Or is there any... Or Let me ask that more generally. Is there any particular reason why you would use any one particular type of story over any other?
1: I think what you want to do is have a good variety of stories. If all your stories are kind of personal anecdotes, it gets a bit Potentially, that's where
0: it starts to sound obsessive yeah, and uh, self indulgent.
1: Yeah, it's, it starts to feel a bit like that. that it's, all, it's all about kind of you as the trainer. So, you want a few of those to kind of share a bit, but not too many of those. But equally, some of the points that you want to make, you may not have had the personal experience. So, if I take my last story about the customer service and how good customer service is sometimes breaking the rules. Unless I've had a personal experience of that that's as good and as interesting as that story I just told, I'd rather tell tell the objective story. So I think having a good mixture of stuff that is personal and stuff that is objective, and then just scattered in the sort of tiny, tiny quick anecdotes that just make, make little points, which can be either personal or, or a, a more objective thing. I think it's having a good a good variety. It's back to being engaging and memorable again. If you have plenty of variety that makes a course more engaging in the main.
0: It's really just about which is actually the best story to illustrate the learning.
1: That's absolutely right. Alright, well thank you very much
0: for that Larry. Do you want to just summarise um, the I'm stumbling over my words. Let me ask ask you again. It is a Friday afternoon, John. I'm feeling it.
1: Thank you for that, Larry. Do you want to just summarise it? So, in terms of why do stories, three reasons. One is it increases your credibility. Two, it's much more engaging for the participants, and three, it's memorable. They'll remember it actually for years. And in fact, in some cases, they'll forget everything you did on the course except the stories. And I've I've certainly had that experience. In terms of the kind of stories you want to tell, short little anecdotes. My 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 Nokia phone anecdote is an example of something that's pretty quick to tell, but but makes 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 a point in a you know sometimes slightly humorous or interesting way. Secondly, some personal stories, they've got to be real, they've got to involve some element of challenge and it helps, I think, if it's a bit a bit self-deprecating, if it shows that you learnt through that experience rather than, you know, you being brilliant. And then finally, to get a good mixture, and also because in some cases you won't have the personal stories, some objective stories, some stories you've got from the frontline staff in your organisation, from your client, from the news, that, that illustrate a particular point. And if you inject a few of those it will have a huge positive impact, not only on how much people enjoy your training, but what they remember from it.
0: Right. Well, thank you very much for that, Larry. Do you want to just remind
1: everybody where you're from, what company you work for and what you do? My name is Larry Reynolds. I run a consultancy company based in Yorkshire in England called 21st Century Leader. And most of the work we do is about helping business managers to have more courageous conversations. In other words, to talk to their staff and their colleagues, to give them feedback, to be clear about expectations, to build trust, to motivate, to problem solve and to coach. And We use stories a lot in the training because it brings it alive. If you want to get in touch, I'd love to hear some of your stories and your experience of storytelling. My website is www.21stcenturyleader.com dot co dot uk that's two one as numbers two one st century leader dot co dot uk although if you just google 21st century leader that also will take me take you to my website
0: and of course all those links and information about larry's on the trainer tools website which is dot com. thank you very much larry hope to see you again on this podcast it's been a great pleasure john thank you So that was me talking to Larry Reynolds about storytelling. If you find these Trainer Tools podcasts useful, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or Myro or whatever system it is you use. And please go to iTunes and give us a review, ideally a positive one. See you next time.